friends. Welcome back to the In No Hurry podcast. My name is Colt Douglas Claiborne, host of this show, and it has been a really long time since I have done one of these podcast episodes. If we're friends on social media, you have probably seen my posts about just the insane amount of unfortunate things that Emily and I have had to endure the last six months. It has just been a very challenging season of life. So that is why I've not really done too many podcasts because simply our life is kind of in limbo right now. We are still displaced from the tornado that hit our home in December. So we are still living with Emily's parents. It has been just a crazy six months from that perspective. And if you want to know more, you can head over to my website, coleclayborn.com. I wrote a blog about it last weekend on the six month anniversary of the tornado and just kind of laid out really what all we've been going through. So check that out if you want to know sort of what's been going on in our lives. And we definitely would appreciate your prayers. But I have been interviewing people, scheduling interviews for this podcast. It's not going away. Appreciate the support. For those of you that have listened, if you're new here, welcome. Excited for you to check out this show. And I'm especially excited for the guests that I have this week. Karen Swallow Pryor joins me on the show this week. Karen is an author, a writer, a teacher, a wonderful Twitter follow, just a jack of all trades, really. And I was really excited to talk to her just about the art of writing and also reading. Uh, She has a book called On Reading Well, among her many books that are attributed to her name. And just really excited to talk to her about that aspect from a writer's perspective, even about how to read well and Also, what goes into making a story a good story? KSP, as she is known, is also a research professor of English and Christianity and culture at Southeast Baptist Theological Seminary. So I'm excited to talk to her, obviously, about faith, about God, and just about teaching as well. I think you guys will really enjoy this episode with Karen Swallow Pryor. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. Hope you'll stick around for more episodes that I have coming later on this summer. But here is my conversation with author, writer, teacher, all kinds of things. Karen Swallow Pryor. Well, I am pleased to be joined by Karen Swallow Pryor, an author, and just a lot of different things on your plate that you've got going on. Karen, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great on this beautiful spring day. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We were just talking before we recorded. I, I think this might potentially end up being one of the nerdiest conversations on my podcast, but I, I love it. We are uh, both uh, teachers of the English language and uh, both are writers and you actually just got into podcasting as well. So we can talk a little bit about that too. So um, I'm excited to talk to you mostly about reading and writing and how we can do that well. And that's kind of, I think, where, where you uh, spend a lot of your time talking about as well. So uh, I guess one of the first questions is really just where did your love for reading and writing begin? When did you know that those were things that you were interested in? I mean, those are some of my earliest memories is just reading books, you know, little picture books as a child. I remember reading um you know, out loud uh, with my finger along the words, like just being able to read to myself um, after, you know, having my mother read to me every day, every night. Um, And I was the proverbial girl with her nose in a book all the time. I just carried a book around with me. I read, um, couldn't, 
either the scholastic book fair is one of my fondest memories. I just always bought books and had books and made myself a little library at one point and made my friends come and check out the books, whether they wanted to or not. Um, And, you know, I, of course I, I dabbled in writing a little bit as a child, but, um, and of course I do right now, uh, but it was really reading was always my first love. Even when I became an English major in college, it was not with any designs to be a writer. It was just because I love reading and discussing literature. Yeah. And I think I always tell people one of the, one of the best lessons I learned when I was in journalism school was to be a good writer, you have to be a good reader. And is that something that you have found? Cause you said that you're you were kind of established as a reader more than a writer, and that was your foundation. I mean, would you agree with that statement? Is that is that something that you advise any of your students on as well? Oh, if I had a dollar for every time I'd, I have said that, <laughs> <laughs> I could treat you to a, a very fine dinner. Um, <laughs> no, it is common advice that I give. Um, and I find it needed more often because, I mean, you know, people are reading less and we're immersed in this um, world of of digital media. Um, But so many people uh, of various ages, but people more who've grown up in this digital world want to be writers, but don't... um, don't, don't want to take the time it takes to kind of just be immersed in the, in the world of well-crafted writing. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, um, I don't, I just don't think any, most people are are able to become writers on their own with that kind of, without the kind of apprenticeship that reading good literature well offers. Yeah. And that's one of your books is on reading well, which we can talk about, uh, here in a little bit, I, I, that's actually kind of a segue into something that I did want to ask you because I, I teach high school, mostly sophomores, and uh, I have some really talented writers, but whenever I'm reading their stuff, I can tell that they don't do a lot of reading because even mm-hmm. just the way that they structure it, they'll turn in things like it's, it's a short story and they'll turn in just a big old chunk of text. And I'm like, you, if you've read, you know how literature is typically structured. And I, I just think you, you mentioned just sort of the the struggles that I think we as teachers, as adults go through, and I'm not a parent yet, but I can imagine parents maybe feel this too. Teenagers and younger generations are, are, are so attached to their phones more than they are a book. They have a phone in their hand more than they're going to have a book. And so I tried something this year where on Fridays, it's called free reading Friday and I try to encourage some writing or, or some, some reading uh, in their lives. It's kind of a book they get to choose. But what I've noticed is that a lot of my students don't like to read for pleasure, much like a lot of people in my generation and older generations do. And I could probably assume the causes of that and the reasons for that. But, you know, in in an age where we do see a lot of usage of of technology and devices, how do you encourage reading? And Mm -hmm. and, uh, even if they're, even if they are using technology, like a Kindle or something like that, how do you encourage reading and replacing that time that they would spend Mm -hmm. maybe on social media with a book instead? That, that's a good question. And of course, I teach um, only English majors or um, graduate students. So um, they've a already kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they, they're cho- choosing to read, but they, they still struggle as well. Um, and I, you know, one of the things I actually do talk about in the introductory chapter to one reading well, that, that I offer here, because as an encouragement, kind of a solace, um, the, the part of the brain that we use when we're reading on our phones and even, you know, most screens, even if, if we're reading good material is a different part of the brain. And so to sit and hold a book and read it attentively and patiently uses a different part of the brain. And like any muscle, 
it requires exercise, it requires practice. So these, so the reason why the students and or anyone, um, the reason why they don't have take pleasure in, in reading that way is because it's hard. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so like anything else, it has to be practiced. And so it has to be intentional. And so I'm glad to hear what you are doing and kind of setting aside that, that time to practice. Um, but even those, like even myself who, who loves to read, I am finding, you know, my brain just works differently today after living in a digital world for 10 years. Um, and so we do have to intentionally exercise that part of our brain and exercise the patience and attentiveness and uh, just the engagement with literary text that is so different from almost anything we would read on our phone or computer. Um, so we, we have to practice it. Yeah, I think a little bit, maybe what you're getting at there too, and, and this may seem really stereotypical, but I do think that there is an element of attention span, maybe. I mean, I know we talk about this a lot, like TikTok is very, very quick. Snapchat, those are apps that my students use a ton. And obviously they're different, different age group than your students, but do you see that struggle at all with your age group as well? And, and the younger, and I think even my, like I'm 32 years old, I think even my generation, and uh, I think it, this is probably spanned to most generations now because so much of what we're given is in bite-sized chunks and uh people don't want to do things that are kind of a may, may seem like a longer task that's sort of that muscle that you're having to work out there i mean how much is it the attention span and is that again just something that needs to be practiced over time no i definitely see um the effects of a diminished attention span um and you know of course i'm not you know i i, I it's easy to fall into sort of a neo-luddite uh, mindset especially for me um because we do get many rich gifts from the internet and from digital media and i don't want to discount those but we're also as marshall McLuhan, the great you know 20th century communications theorist would remind us when we're talking about technology we tend to to think about what we gain from it, but we don't like to think about what we lose from it. Um, and so we are losing some of our attention span, we're losing some of our depth. Um, and, you know, I can't say I have yet seen a real correlation between things I'm seeing in the classroom and TikTok, it's, it's relatively new for that for my age group. But I certainly see everywhere, namely Twitter, um, the <laughs> inability of people or refusal or difficulty that people have like just simply engaging with how people might use words in a different way or or you know just how you might not really understand what a person is saying based on a, a you know the limited um text allowed in a tweet and and there's just a lack of um willingness to ask questions to deep in understanding as opposed to just making a quick snap judgment. Um, yeah. So it's the quick snap judgments that I'm seeing the most as an effect of this digital world. I think that's, that's so true. I mean, I watch a lot of, I'm a big sports fan. I watch a lot of sports talk and so much of that, and even political talk mm. shows, it's geared toward this debate mindset that you've always got to have mm. a, a comeback. And I've talked mm. with Dan Darling quite a bit about this too, about just the idea of, of how people have a hard time conversing, much like you're saying in a civil discourse where you give and I give and then you take and I take and there's sort of this like hearing each other we don't see a lot of that anymore personally what I have seen in, in my experience both from the journalistic side the the, the teaching high school side the, the literature side is there seems to be an inability through a lot of people generations all over that 
it's hard for some people to think critically now they're, mm. they're thinking so quickly versus critically. And I, I caught a reply of yours today uh, to somebody where I think it was a pastor asking about, you know, how do I say something in a sermon? And I don't want to give the name of somebody or something like that. And he said, why don't you teach them to think critically about where the source comes from, that sort of thing. I think for me personally, that is one of the skills that I spend the most time trying to emphasize in my classes. Cause I think no matter what field, what Avenue of life, my students go into, that is a skill that's going to translate to anything. And so, you know, and whenever you're, you're looking at younger generations, and even as you're talking to people, you know, that are adults, um, you know, how do we encourage that? And how do we support efforts to strive toward critical thinking versus those snap judgments? I mean, that that's where we are today. I mean, that, that I think that is the big obstacle we're facing as very as general society. question I know. yeah no no no, no. It, it, it it is it, it is something uh i think it's i think if we if we look at, i can't help but look at things in in big historical chunks and i think that we spent about 500 years not coincidentally about 500 years um with developing um a kind of civic discourse mm -hmm. um civil discourse and a kind of society that is dialogical and based in in conversation and understanding that we're you know we're all kind of trying to find understand truth better and we can learn from one another by asking questions and and this is and and that revolved around the invention of the printing press and literacy and just the ability to do that. And I think that we've re we're reaching rounding a kind of corner uh, where that is no longer valued or practiced and um, or, or we could be losing that that. And so, I mean, I that's actually kind of why I stay on Twitter is because I do feel like it is a place where we can model um, the re, you know some resistance to that, even though the form itself does is is inherently encourages us to do what we just talked about, make the the quick um, snap reply, which I I'm very guilty of. Um, that's another reason why I like Twitter is for that reason. <laughs> um, so so I think. I think all of us, whether it's you in the classroom or me in the classroom or those of us who are out on, on Twitter or engaging in social media, we can model this this other approach and people do watch and they do pay attention. They may not even be replying, but I get I over the years, I have just gotten countless messages from people who are watching, not necessarily jumping in the fray, but they are watching and learning uh, a different or, or, or you know, or not not new but uh an alternative kind of communication than what social media encourages yeah i think that's such a good point yeah i i'm guilty of it too because i think there's some endorphins that are released whenever you kind of have sure. that comment where you maybe dunk on somebody or you kind of get into a little bit of a spat with somebody on twitter and you feel like you put them in their place i know that i always feel guilty after that uh it's maybe cathartic at the time to to mm -hmm. snap back at somebody but gen generally i feel pretty guilty after it. So I don't know if other people feel that same thing, but it's not, not usually a great feeling whenever you feel like you put somebody down, especially if you are consider yourself a Christian and want to model a certain lifestyle. Uh, it's, it's hard to fight that battle. And that's, that's a conversation I've gotten to have with Dan Darling a couple of times. And I know that's where he spends a lot of his time. And I just, I find that fascinating because it's such a tempting place where uh, it's a great source to, to send out information. I know whenever I worked in full-time journalism, it was one of my best tools to send out news alerts and articles, that sort of thing. But conversationally, 
it makes it difficult. So in your, in your class specifically, what are some ways that obviously these are students that are, are studying English, they're, they're kind of more in the, in that mindset of critical thinking, but what are some ways that you have instructed that and encouraged that through your curriculum? So, um, I mean, one thing I did, um, a number of years ago, and now I find it less necessary because the students do this on their own is I, I didn't, I required my students to buy paper copies of books. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't let them use the electronic versions, but the, um, they only wanted to do that for the first couple of years. I, I most of them now do want the paper copies. Um, and so, and then in the classroom, um, I really do, um, spend time on close reading. Um, so, when we're discussing a work of literature we're we've got the book open together and we're looking at a passage and and the more that i do that i'm, I'm also noticing over the years that um students have more trouble really even just understanding what a sentence says or you know they skip over a word or or mistake you know in their they're just reading in such haste um that they're misconstruing what's on the page because of that lack of attention span so close reading is even more important than i think it you know it, it always is important i've always focused on that but i every year that goes by i realize how much more i have to time i want to spend helping them develop that practice of reading slowly reading attentively and and really just focusing on on what the words on the page are saying and doing because that good writers um use words with such power and skill um that you know we unless we're paying attention we aren't even grasping it yeah that's uh something that i talked with my students about this year was like it's easy to read a text and you see or you hear types of language and dialogue and it's easy to go so quickly and not really think about the intentions that the author had behind that. And so we spent a lot of time talking about author's choice. Why did the authors choose to mm. frame this scene this way? And mm. I know that, that, you know, I don't know who, who's going to listen to this conversation. Some people may not be avid readers, but from a critical thinking standpoint, I think that approach, maybe you're not reading a book, but I think whatever you're doing, uh, it could be something completely unrelated to literature, but that mm. approach of taking a slowed, more methodical look at something and pondering things at a lower level I think can be such a beneficial trait. Now I know that not everybody is going to want to be patient and we're in this fast paced culture, which is sort of how I got the name of my podcast in no hurry, because mm -hmm. I feel like we are so often moving so quickly and not slowing down. So I think this is kind of a cool concept of like, I did a close reading exercise with my students whenever we were doing a, a short story unit. And it was kind of first to build foundations of this is the kind of stuff that I want you to look for. You may not always be this analytical and coming through with this type of a, a you know, a fine tooth. What's the, uh, what's the phrase there? A, a fine comb. Fine tooth. fine tooth comb. There we go. Yes. Yeah. That's the idiom. Uh, so I know, I know that they won't always do that, but that's kind of the goal is try to ponder like, Authors are very, really good authors are very intentional about mm -hmm. the words they choose, how they organize it, the structure that they use. So I, I like what you're saying with that, with that approach is just that, that really slowing down and sort of pondering mm -hmm. everything with that. So good, good stuff there. Uh, that's kind of me nerding out as a teacher, just thinking about things like that. But um, whenever we're thinking about creative writing and creative thinking too, I, I took, I was a creative writing minor um, on top of my journalism major. And some of my professors in the creative writing minor track were actually some of the professors that I remember the most. And I don't know why it just was something about that class mm -hmm. and the, and the stuff that we would do in the, in those classes. And I, I 
draw on those experiences a lot when I'm teaching creative writing and, and teaching even creative thinking. But for you as an author, what does what your writing process look like whenever you have an idea? I know we're kind of shifting gears here from reading to writing, but how do you, whenever you go from having an idea, how, how do you get that idea out of your brain into uh, a conceived idea that turns into a full-fledged product? Mm. Well, a lot of the writing that I do, if, it, if it's book writing, um, it's very research-based. I'm not really a creative writer. I'm, you know, writing about either literary history or an interpretation or um, cultural history is the book I'm working on now. And so I start by taking a lot of notes from research, which is very boring and very, you know, just um, not exciting, but I just have to, um, I have to get a lot of stuff on the page and a lot of a strong foundation that's not necessarily, you know, from me. And then, then I feel more like a sculptor. Like I'm just kind of taking this base and, and, um, wrestling with it and whittling away and refining my own thoughts, um, that emerged from that research. If it's something more like a, you know, a, an essay that I'm writing for my monthly column, uh, then I'm usually, yeah, I'm starting with an idea and I'm not, I'm not someone who has like a lot of ideas in my head. I have to think, <laughs> right? I mean, I, yeah. I, I, right. Yeah. That sounds really, uh, that could be a good I know what uh, you mean, though. sound bite for, right. I, I think on the page, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. So I have to sit down and put the kernel of the idea on the page and I have to have it concrete in front of me and then just start writing um, and letting it take shape. Um, and then it's through the process, the writing process that I begin to make connections and, and then the light goes on and then I get the endorphin hit and all of that. But yeah. uh, it, writing is actually hard for me. It's very hard. Um, and most of it is not enjoyable. Um, it's rewarding. The part I enjoy the most about writing is, uh, is the end, like the yeah. editing and fine and the polishing and, um, trying to make it really sing. Uh, but the other part is very laborious and, but it's, you know, it's the heavy, the heavy, it's heavy lifting and I'm not super strong. <laughs> <laughs> How do you fight through those moments when it's not easy? Cause I know I I've been trying to put together an idea for a book for several years now, and I've never written one. So this is a very it's a brand new process for me. I'm so used to journalistic writing, which is a lot quicker and it's a different process. Mm -hmm. But uh, those hard moments, I know from my experience, I know exactly what those have looked like. How do you fight through those, especially when you've got a lot of other things going on in your life or it could be so easy to put a writing project on the back burner and say, well, I'll get that to, you know, in a little bit. Uh, I've got classes to teach, things to grade. I've got this and that going on. Just all mm -hmm. of those. I mean, people talk about resistance a lot whenever uh, they, they talk about writing and anything creative like that, even even if it's a more of a research based project. I mean, mm -hmm. there's still a little bit of a, a creative aspect mm -hmm. to it. So how do you fight through that to make sure that you get to that end where it is the fun part for you? Yeah, well, it is actually um, helpful to me that I I have these other responsibilities, that I have a teaching job and that I, you know, have a few different writing things going on so that I can switch back and forth. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, for example, I just got off um, teaching a, a week-long intensive 
uh, that took weeks of preparation for me. So I, I wasn't able to write during that time. I mean, I planned it out and said, okay, I'm going to devote this month to this class, which is reading and research. It's related to my book. Um, but I will, you know, not feel guilty because I'm not writing. Um, but that, then when I get done, I'm so eager and anxious to get back to the writing. And so that, so that helps to, to, to have different things because I, I really could not be a person I, who only writes. Yeah. Um, I think that would be hard. I would, I don't want to spend that much time in my head and in that <laughs> existential state. Yeah. And so, but the other thing I will say is, um, is that, and I have written enough. I'm not, I mean, I'm not the most prolific. I'm not like Stephen King or, or, you know, Tim Keller or something. Danielle right. I've seen her books oh, all, every store, yeah. every library I go into, it's yeah, like yeah. columns of Danielle Steele. She books. must have like a team of 400 yeah. <laughs> staff writers or something. I don't know yeah. how this is possible, but um, I've written enough that I, I can trust the process. Um, and so I know not to, to give credit to my feelings or my angst when I feel like it's, you know, because I always have this like, oh, I, it, this isn't going to work. It's going to be dumb. I can't, I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm, it's going to be terrible. All the, all those feelings that I have, I've done it, gone through it enough so I can say, it's okay. Just keep going, keep going. You will, it will happen. You'll make sense out of it. You'll make the connections. It will happen. Trust the process. So that's what my mantra is. Trust the process. I love that. That's, that's, that's a really, uh, that's a good tip there. Um, do you ever feel overwhelmed by the work that you have or, or do you, I mean, how do you, I guess whenever I felt overwhelmed, I think it's cause I maybe need more structure in terms of planning. I mean, mm -hmm. what, what is, do you, do you ever feel overwhelmed with the, with the work and maybe intimidated by the work that you're putting together? And if so, what are some disciplines that you have to stay organized? And like you said, it helps that you have a lot of different things going on. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like for you discipline wise and to make sure that you don't, um, kind of feel the weight of the project that you're working mm -hmm. on. I do feel overwhelmed at times and panic usually at night, <laughs> you know, not every night, but there'll be times when I, I suddenly think I have this to do and that to do. And, and I do feel overwhelmed. Um, and again, I, it's happened enough that I just, I just say, well, you know, trust that in the morning when I wake up, I'll feel better. Um, which is usually true. Uh, and I, I'm not, um, I'm not a really organized person, I guess. And so, but my life is fairly, or in the sense, organized in the sense that I have a, a schedule. I have, you know, I have due dates. I have to go here. I have to speak here. I have to teach this class. And so I have thing, things that are um, put into place that can't be moved. And so I have to, so the creative stuff or the writing stuff that's more flexible, like they have to go in those slots. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that there are just, those that's it is those slots. Um, it helps. It yeah. helps. Yeah. I think that's probably one of my biggest struggles is, is I've tried really hard this year, uh, with, with discipline we've had, uh, we're currently we're displaced. Our house was hit by a tornado a few months ago. So that's, oh, that's made so it hard. Sorry. <laughs> that's made it hard to be. I was, I was, uh, wow. really, really excited about the next few months to work on this book project. And then our, like the day I had spoken with the literary agent and then that night our, uh, our house hit by a tornado. So I've been thrown off my rocker oh. with discipline. Um, and so it's just, and that, and that honestly, for me, I, I have found a lot of ways to make excuses about things too. Like I've had plenty of time. I just have been like, Oh, I've got this to deal with. Now I've got to call the insurance person. Mm -hmm. It's like, I have found that I'm very good at times at finding excuses mm -hmm. at, uh, not doing the work that I want to do. 
what, what would be your advice to aspiring writers about, about no, how to... I just want to say God, God said to you, you want an excuse. I'll give you a real yeah. excuse. Yeah. Or, or, or yeah, no. Seriously. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like... It's not, it's not fun. I just, I feel bad for you, but it is no, a real okay. excuse. <laughs> but it's just like, I, I, even before that, like, I'm just, I'm very good and I'm, and I'm self-aware enough to know, like mm-hmm. as a writer, that is one of my flaws. So if there's a, you know, an aspiring writer, and that could be somebody who's maybe aspiring just to be a short story author or um, a journalist or anything like that. I mean, there's always going to be resistance. And there's always going to be ways that you can mm-hmm. buy into an easy excuse. What, what would be your advice to a young aspiring or, you know, somebody who maybe it didn't matter what age, you know, I, I'd say young in the sense that they're new in the, in the craft of writing, mm-hmm. but to a new writer, what would be your advice to them on how to fight through any resistance or the, the urge to make excuses to not work on those projects? I would just say that you have to um, not worry about the quality. You just have to do the practice, whether that means, you know, writing a little bit every day um, or, you know, or once a week, um, but commit to just doing it regardless of what the quality is, because the practice itself will make you better um, and make it easier. And you don't have to believe it. You don't have to feel it. You just have to do it. And, um, then at some point when you actually have assignments to do, whether it's a journalistic one or a book um, contract, you have deadlines. For me, that's really all, that's my motivation. I, I have a deadline. I have, and so those deadlines, those commitments, um, they, they keep me in, in line. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. That's good. Yeah. I think maybe enforcing self debt, you know, self-imposed deadlines, those might help. Although if there's nobody kind of breathing down your neck on something, it kind of mm-hmm. removes the, uh, the fear that a deadline right. might bring you, which I, I definitely can re- relate to that working, uh, on a deadline is obviously a lot, uh, it, there's motivation there. There's inherent motivation. So that makes perfect sense. Um, I guess last couple of questions here, uh, you, you recently got into, or you started a podcast. I, I don't know if you had done this previous to this one. I know you just recently launched a podcast, J- Jane and Jesus, I believe is the name of that. Uh, what was the idea behind this and how did you, uh, how, how has it been going so far and what are you hoping that listeners get out of that podcast? Yeah. I mean, I never saw myself as doing a podcast uh, people had approached you know had always said that I should do one and I said I don't want to do a podcast and um but then I was approached by soul shop which is this great organization doing good work doing um among which is doing podcasts that have like spiritual themes from a, a variety of religious perspectives and it's actually it was actually their idea they approached me they've seen my I've done a couple of things with them they've seen my work and they knew of my love for Jane Austen and read some of my writing about her and uh, knew that I was a Christian there. They are not. And, um, but they do a variety of, of, of podcasts, like I said, with spiritual themes and it was their idea. And they said, they said, we have this idea. We want you to do this podcast. Um, and they had the name <laughs> Jesus. And, you know, to be honest, if, you know, if, it, if it weren't for a talented and highly motivated um, production team that could take care of all of, because I, I, I can hardly even use a computer. Um, <laughs> so no, I, I do use one, but I, I just, I don't know anything about recording. I, I zoom meetings that throw me off. <laughs> 
so um you're doing fine on this one though okay great 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 so far so far um so it was it was so it's truly a team effort um and the vision was this wonderful teams and i just get to talk with really interested and interesting and insightful people about Jane Austen. And so if that that's the role that I have, and I am enjoying it, it's going really well. Um, I've gotten so much feedback from people um, because it is an interfaith kind of dialogue and right. it's not just about Jane Austen. And it just seems to be filling a need that people didn't even know that they had for these kinds of deep conversations that are uh, with people of, of different beliefs, but you know, also centered on, on a work that a lot of people love. So it's been wonderful. I'm really thankful for the opportunity. So it, it seemed like it, you're basically, you're, you're relating some of her characters to the life of Jesus. Am I understanding that correctly? Is that how that? Well, that's, I, I do that at the end or at the right. beginning. And sometimes with the, with the guests, the guests are not all Christians, but that they are generally are knowledgeable about Jesus. And so we just, the conversations just go in a variety of directions. And yeah. then I try to make some sort of connection to um, biblical teaching or Jesus or, you know, just something related to my Christian faith. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. I love uh, that's the, the, the idea for this podcast was kind of mixing people's faith and their creative, uh, mm-hmm. work and their work life. Uh, so I like the idea of blending faith with different things. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of ways which you never w- would maybe think certain characters of fiction stories and how they blend with faith and that sort of thing. So I think it's, a, that's a really cool connection. So I could definitely see why that's been so well received. And obviously your wealth of knowledge and literature and that sort of thing, I think probably plays into that as well. So, um, one of the last questions I always love to ask my guests, well, I guess, well, yeah, the first, first question, we'll go, we got two more here. So I guess, uh, first question I love to ask, I guess at the end is, you know, whatever you are wanting to sort of slow down, we talked about that idea of slowing down with reading that sort of thing, but just in your personal life, you got a lot of things going on when you want to slow down and just sort of, uh, relax and pull back from any of the hectic stuff going on in your life. What are some of your go-to practices? What do you do besides reading and writing for fun? Well, I do, um, run most days. I don't run fast. Um, and, and it depends on the weather. I'm kind of a baby about the weather. So it has to be, you know, decent weather, which we're just getting into, but I, but I'm pretty faithful, you know, as long as it's above like 36 degrees, um, and I will generally go out. So most, most days of the week, I will go out for a shorter or longer run. Um, and, you know, either listen to a book for fun or listen to music. Um, that also helps my writing process. There's actually a great article from a few years ago at the Atlantic called, I think the title is why writers run. And it talks about how like the sort of rhythmic, um, steady, physical action of running, um, lets the brain mull things. Uh, and for me running is like, I don't have to think about it. I just, yeah, I'm not thinking while I'm doing it cause I'm not running fast and I'm not, you know, trying to, yeah. um, you know, win a race or something. So it's, there's just something that relaxes my brain, um, which is why I do it. And then, um, you know, I have to read a lot for my classes and my research. So when I'm weary from that, I just, I just read a, a, a good novel for fun. Um, and I really enjoy that. And so, um, you know, and then sometimes I watch like reruns of the office or, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorite shows. So, um, 
that's that's about it that's all you know i'm a boring person so (laughs) what are you uh what are you currently reading right now i am doing research for my book so i'm reading uh right now i'm reading about the history of um self-help literature in the victorian age and um then i'll be reading some about um 20th century American self-help books. So that's what I'm, cause that's a chapter I'm working on right now. And for fun, I am reading, um, let's see. I have, I have two, two books for pleasure that I have going. One is just a collection of the best American short stories. And it's been, so there are a lot of them are ones I'm rereading, but I haven't read for a long time. Um, I just reread James Baldwin's Sunny Sunny's Blues, and it's just like I'm like amazed all over again. <laughs> and uh, I also reading um, Joy Harjo's um, collection of poetry, American Sunset, I think it's called. She's our U.S. poet laureate, and her. I just started that book and um, have read a few of the poems in it, and it's really gorgeous and really very moving. Awesome. Well. That's great. Karen, where can people connect with you if they want to follow you on social media, check out your website? What are your uh, avenues of contact? Well, low key commitment is my website, which has some of the basics there. Karen Um, The wild ride is on Twitter. K S prior. Um, I'm on there probably more than I should be, but I've <laughs> already <too>. explained <laughs> sort of why. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't we all? So you can easily find me there. Perfect. Or on Instagram. Instagram is my safe space. So um, that's where I, I post like pictures of, that are of books and dogs and nature. Um, people are kinder on Instagram. I have very yeah. few trolls there. That's true. Yeah, I have noticed that there is a very distinct tone difference between mm-hmm. uh, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. It's, it's very... It's- very distinct. So. Form is function, I guess. Yeah. Well, Karen, this is great. Thank you so much for joining me to talk a little bit about writing and reading and, and all things in between. And I hope people that listened are encouraged, whether they're an aspiring writer or uh, they're just an avid reader or anything in between. I hope they were encouraged by this. And uh, definitely be sure to check out Karen's work on her website, as she mentioned, follow her on social media. And uh, we'll be, have to have you back on sometime down the road. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the In No Hurry podcast with author Karen Swallow Pryor. Hope you guys enjoyed hearing from her and hearing the insight that she has to offer about reading, about writing, about God. Definitely give her a follow on Twitter to let her know that you enjoyed hearing her on this podcast. And again, I just want to say thank you to those of you that have been praying for Emily and me during this crazy six months that we've been going through. Uh, I really hope things start to even out soon and our luck starts to change. We just have had a lot of really bad luck and unfortunate things happen and it's just been really hard. And so we definitely would continue to appreciate your prayers and hopefully at some point, Emily and I can come on here and talk a little bit about what we've been going through these last six months because it's just been really hard and it's just one of those seasons of life that you just kind of have to endure it and know that on the other side, there's going to be some beauty that God has provided for us. And so we are clinging to that and would appreciate your prayers that we can stay patient in this season. If you're new here, or even if you're not new here and we're not connected on social media, I would love for you to 
connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, all of that. You can find me. Just search Cole Claiborne. You'll find me there. Check out my website, coleclaiborne.com. And if you're new to this podcast, I would love for you to go back and listen to some previous conversations that I've had. A lot of conversations with authors and writers if you're into that. And just a lot of good conversations about faith and creativity and where that all intersects. So if that's your thing, hopefully you'll check out the show and stick around for future episodes. But as always, I hope you guys find some time this week to relax and not be in a hurry. And we'll catch you next time.